One nation, indivisible. Really? Um, what are some of the issues currently right now that you see not only or not necessarily dividing the nation, but also dividing churches? So what are some issues you see out there right now that are... Abortions. Okay. Might as well start alphabetically, huh? <laughs> what else? Gender. Gender. Okay. Uh, we can might as well just do LGBTQ+. And just regular masculinity and femininity. Okay. Even, even traditional... Genders are under attack. Not only, not only what is my gender, but what is a man, uh, even to begin with. Uh, just heard a story this week about a young lady in Connecticut who was, she's an activist because she's a female athlete, like a real female athlete. And she's, she was a state champion until dudes started getting into the mix. And she's like, what? And so she wrote an article for USA Today and talked about how unfair it was for her to have to compete against males. And USA Today actually published the article. But then they recanted and rewrote the article because they allowed her to use the word male instead of transgender. So, okay, what are some other issues out there? Truth versus political correctness. Okay, what is truth? What else? Southern Baptist Convention is meeting this week. This is not a Southern Baptist church. The one up the street is. Nothing, no, love the Southern Baptists. Love their statement of faith and practice. It's It's great. Uh, and in it, in the Southern Baptist Convention right now, a number of churches are starting to ordain female pastors. And so there is an issue in the church. The, the world's going to look at us and go, <laughs> are you kidding me? Why, why is this even an issue? But it is, it's a serious issue within the church. If the church wants to hold to biblical fidelity, who is a pastor? What can be a pastor? A few others for you. What is taboo? Irrelevant. These are rhetorical. Is America a racist nation? Is that causing some division in, in, in our country? In the church? Uh, what place does patriotism have in our country? As we get into this season of Memorial Day followed by Independence, well, excuse me, Memorial Day followed by Flag Day, followed by Independence Day, followed by Labor Day. What place does patriotism have? Should we have wide open borders? Should we have closed borders? What is an immigrant? Are immigrants good? What about government assistance? Should we take government assistance? What about for schools? What about for businesses? What about for COVID? Should the government be required to provide medical insurance? For whom? What should the minimum wage be? Okay. Um, 
critical theory. Critical theory as it affects uh, politics, critical theory and obesity, critical theory and gender studies, critical theory and race studies, critical theory and sports. What in the world is even critical theory? So you hear that bantered about and perhaps even our church should stop and talk about it. But more and more I'm finding uh, just Christians in a complete dither. <laughs> ah. It seems like there are no issues people can agree on anymore. It's like, where should we stand? And it's getting greater and greater. The toxicity of our last election didn't help. The BLM riots from last summer didn't help. The Antifa autonomous zones in Portland and Seattle and around the country where police were not welcome in the cities, they didn't help. The incursion on the Capitol in the start of January, this doesn't help. So how do you side with a team when no team seems to be waving the banner of righteousness? It's like, one Christian with whom I correspond wrote, he said, I've been struggling mightily with the lack of connection I feel to broader evangelicalism, as you know. The question, are we on the same team, comes up in my mind a lot. There seems to be two options right now. Option one, orthodox theology coupled with a partisan Republican approach to culture. Or option two, a more caring, engaging approach to culture coupled with requiring an abandonment of orthodoxy. I hope you see the, the false options there in his divisions. He goes on, if you try to uphold orthodoxy and desire to engage culture outside of the Republican Party, you're labeled a Marxist or as having given a full stamp of approval to cultural race theory, critical race theory. From the other side of the aisle, your caring cultural engagement is meaningless while you are trying to uphold biblical orthodoxy. True tolerance no longer matters. What is required by the cancel culture is a full, wholehearted affirmation of their new morality. And he ends with, so what are we even doing here? I mean, this is the dilemma many Christians are facing. What of impact at all do I have on the culture and even should I try? So this morning what I'd like to do in our brief time together is rather than explain all of these issues to you right now and solve them perfectly in your mind is to give you a foundation upon which to stand going into the summer. Okay, And it will be delineated there on your notes. So this is where we are going to start from. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start tossing out scriptural passages. Jerry, Isaiah 45, please. Uh, Beatrice, would you take 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17 there. Katrina, Isaiah 43, passage down under the second bullet. And Arnold, would you take 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 there. Katie's friend. What was your name? I'm sorry. Lori. Lori. You don't want to read? Okay, good. That's fine. Excellent. I appreciate that. All right. Where do we start? I mean, you gotta you gotta start from somewhere, and you gotta have a strong anchor point from which to start. And the place that Christians must start, the place that led to the reformation of the church was this. Was truth. 
was standing on the truth of God's word. You cannot build a house on nothing. It has to have a firm foundation. And I would argue, and we have here in this class, that apart from an objective external truth, reality is merely a construct of your mind. It's whatever you make it up to be. It's the matrix. I would argue also that I can know nothing truly apart from God's word. Even the sanity of my mind is by God's grace. We see that in Daniel chapter 4 where King Nebuchadnezzar is looking out over his dominion going, Oh, look at all the wonderful things I've done. And and God says, Hey, that's going to be taken from you. In the snap of a finger, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind in reality. And he's out eating grass and his nails grow long. And for seven years, he's a wild man. And at the end of those seven years, God brings back his sanity to him. And Nebuchadnezzar bows before the God who gives and takes away. God. Why do we start with God? Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 and 19. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. Okay, so these two verses talk about God as creator and God the revelator. God is the creator and God is the revealer. God could have created everything and hidden, as some would argue he has. Reading through Job right now, and Job even sometimes in his frustration seems like God has hidden himself. But God has not hidden himself. God has revealed himself to us plainly in his word. God has spoken that his creatures might know him. And by this we have foundation. By this I can understand the reality of the world around me. I am not a rat in a laboratory maze with no clue who the dude in the white coat is. I'm a creature created in the image of the living God. And this God has revealed himself to me only he can make known to me reality in its fullest only he who made this reality can make known to man the state and condition of man what are rights and wrongs what are goods and evils what are betters and bests what is the best thing for human flourishing all of this comes to us by God's revelation number of passages and I put them parenthetically in there speak to the the audacious claim that God's word is truth Psalm 119 160 is a personal favorite the entirety of your word is truth Psalm or Proverbs 30 verse 5 indicates the same thing but here also 2nd Timothy and I was wrong 2nd Timothy chapter 3 that is a boo-boo 2nd Timothy 3 16 and 17 all scripture is inspired by God and proper 
proposed for for correction for training and righteousness. The demand of God may be adequate equipped for very for every good work. Okay. Which the the red letter ones, the red letter scriptures? All scripture. Well, what's that mean? All scripture is what? Okay, all scripture is God breathed. Okay, all scripture comes by the inspiration of God, not by man. Man's not going, oh, I wonder what God's thinking. I'm thinking I'm going to write it down. No, all scripture is God breathed. All. And all scripture is profitable. There's no scripture that is not profitable. You go, you read through those endless genealogies and chronicles and numbers, and you're going, ah, this is profitable. What for? I don't know. Sometimes. I don't. I don't. But one of the cool things is in a lot of those genealogies, there's going to be men and women even in there that we're going to meet one day. And we're going to hear their stories. Oh, you're that guy. Remember? <laughs> you know, as God gives me remembrance of what I read, oh, I, I think I remember reading your name once. Um, but it is profitable. What is it profitable for? It is profitable for teaching. God's word is profitable to teach you. God's word is profitable to reprove you. What's a reproof? Okay, but he says correction next. How is reproof different than correction? It, it's, it's a, it's a, it is more of a rebuke. It is, it is, you're wrong. Whoa. Oh, that's audacious. In our world today where truth is, woo up in the air. No, you're wrong. Not because I said so, but because God says so. It's not like I'm just trying to buffet Jerry for grins. No, it's profitable. Scripture is profitable for reproof. So I don't, I don't just come to somebody and, and go, well, you're wrong. I sit down with a brother and sister in Christ because I love them and go, I have great concerns because God's word says this and I'm seeing this. Help me. Am I in error? And thus to correct. We're not just trying to go, well, you're wrong. No. My desire is for people to thrive under the hand of God is to turn to the living God and to follow hard after the living God to correct for training, training, discipline. Oh, we have a war to fight. This is going to come up over and over again today, not only in this study, but also in the message today. Profitable training that we would be ready Complete, perfect, fits to a T. Ready for every good work. So what is God not helpful for? He's helpful for everything. Which is why it's imperative that we start here, that we be saturated with God's word. The only way to fathom and comprehend the reality around us is to be informed by the one who created and sustains this reality. Starting point, the word of God. What is my job? 
you are Presbyterian and you are steeped in the Westminster Catechism, it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Two great verses that testify to that. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and verse 7, please. That whole passage in 43, 1 through 7, testifies to the fact that man is created to what end? To bring God glory. Which men and women? Man, mankind. His. Huh? His. Which? Yes. What did you say? His. His. But his only? Which ones are his? All who were created in his Yeah. Yeah. All of the earth is created for God's glory. All of the earth is created for God's glory. All of those created in God's image are created for God's glory. All. So therefore, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Why does Paul bring up eating and drinking? going to get into communion in the next chapter he was talking about food sacrifice to idols how fundamental and basic is eating and drinking donuts coffee Waters. tea <laughs> water I mean, yes it is as basic as it gets now we think about oh coming to church oh glorifying God oh and then we go home and even on the way home the thought of glorifying God rolls under the seat. Whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What is my job? My job is to glorify God. That relationship, boys and girls, is gooned up. And I cannot expect any other relationship to function properly if my relationship this way is not good. I cannot expect to rightly relate to or interact with the world outside of me if I am not right with God. So I'm going to have a skewed picture on all of these things if I don't have a saturated life in the Word and if I am not living my life in accord with what God would have me do. What is my job? To glorify God. My job is also to have dominion. Katie, would you flip over to Genesis? I'm going to give you both of those verses there. In Genesis, uh, let's see. Philip, would you take 1 Timothy? Elizabeth, would you take 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy 4. And Philip, you take 1 Timothy 5. Ah. You guys can do it. I know. 
when God created man and woman in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, he gave them a command. Would you read that, please, Katie? And God blessed them. 28? Yeah, 128. Sorry. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gave man a tasking, a job. What is that job? Dominion. Dominion. It's a great word. So it is, absolutely. But you know what? If you wanna if you wanna rub noses with the the earth lovers, the eco eco geeks, the eco extremists, I would say we got a bigger foot to stand on with regard to taking care of the earth than they do. They have nothing why should I take care of the earth? Uh well because you know we all come from the soil. Well, how about the fact that the living God, the God who created this earth, has given you charge of it, <laughs> to take care of it, to bring order to it, to have dominion, to be the steward of this thing. Chapter 2 and verse 15 also. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work is great. Work is not a curse. Work is great. Thrive, delight in the work that God has given you. Oh, that's not what I want to do. I don't care. I don't want to do the laundry. But you know what? Oh, I don't want to mow the lawn. I don't like, I don't want. Yes, there's going to be toil and drudgery. Yes, but this is what God has given us to do. Menial, mundane things. Toilet cleaning kind of things. Diaper changing kind of things. Litter box changing kind of things. God has called us to have dominion. How far does that extend? It extends to my family, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. <laughs> Paul, boom, off the top rope. Your responsibility, if you've got a family, is to your family. You have a huge responsibility to care for your family huge you are worse than an unbeliever provision yes but way more than that way more than just putting food on the table way more than just putting food on the table nurturing training We have a responsibility to our church. I'm not going to belabor that because Jeremy just spent the last five months talking about the spiritual giftedness of the church that we're supposed to build each other up. That was the whole last lesson. Build one another up. And oh, by the way, all of those, that whole Sunday school series is available online on our website. And you can go back and listen to all of those. Great study. It really was a real blessing to my soul to be a part of that. Um, but... There is one part in this that I would like to highlight. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And this is a warning or an exhortation from Paul to the young pastor, Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. 
preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Good. What is the urgent thing that Paul tells Timothy to do? Preach the word in the world. Preach the word. Preach the word. We already looked at the, the need and the necessity of the word in our life. And so in the church, to preach the word, to exhort and encourage one another, to rebuke. I mean, we even get back, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Uh, there we go. Complete patience and teaching. But we are also to exhort and encourage one another with regard to our spiritual gifts. So the assault against the church is as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. We are also given a charge to testify to the lost. Keaton, could you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, Ty, Hebrews 11, Shauna, Colossians 3, Kara, Matthew 6, please. So this dominion, I am supposed to, we are stewards of what God has given us here in this world. We are to minister to our families. Yes, and more than that, we are to build up his church. Yes, and more than that. And we are to testify to the lost. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But even if you should should suffer for righteousness, righteousness is safe, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Great. Are you going to be pressured? Are you going to be persecuted for being a believer? Yes, you're in exile. This is not your home here. It is going to come to you. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in Christ, but in your hearts, honor Christ as the honor Christ the Lord is holy. But He also exhorts us to be prepared. Be ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, you may have opportunity. As you have opportunity, spill it. Spill it. Give a reason for the hope that is in you. You are one who is to shine like the stars in the heaven. You are to reflect his glory. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan woof it out. You're going to let it shine. But we are to do it with gentleness and respect. I don't need to pound somebody into submission with my arguments. I offer them the truth if they slap it out of my hand or slap my face with it. 
I respect that, and I walk on. And I love them. And perhaps I'm, God may give me another opportunity with them. They may smack me down again. Okay? Now, I'd probably shake the dust off my feet, but sometimes it's a coworker. And you may have another opportunity again in the future. We have an opportunity and a responsibility to testify to the hope that is within us with grace and truth. So what is my job? Notice I didn't mention specifically whatever your job is. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of the Lord. Politics. I didn't mention politics here either. We may get to that a little bit later. So what is my job? To glorify God and to have dominion over those areas he has given you charge to. So where are we going? This is another important thing to keep in mind when we are engaging the world. Where am I going? Where is my ultimate end in this thing? We are, as I said, exiles here. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Ty, would you read verse, was it you I gave this passage? 11, 13 and 16, please. All right. 11, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And 16. Yep. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. All these people who died in faith, not having received the ultimate promised end, not ultimately receiving that glory. And... And the author of Hebrews says they were looking for something better. God had given them knowledge that this is temporary. Okay? Now, that does not mean that we abdicate our interest in the world. We'll, t we'll talk about that again here in just a minute. But we have to understand where we're going. Where am I going? Our time here is but a vapor. Which of you is going to live to 85? Which of you is going to live to 105? Which of you is going to live to 35? What do you promise? Uh, this moment, currently, and nothing else. And so, you know, back to the other things. Man, I have to stand on the word of God and I have to live for his glory. I have to seek God's glory. I have to find my delight and my joy and my purpose and my wholeness in him. Because he made me. And that kind of points us to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Yeah. Paul's like, hey, Colossians, man, not, not here. Set your affections on things above. Set your mind on things above. Jesus Christ said the same thing in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves 
house treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Man, right from Jesus' lips. What are you building up here? What are you building up here? What are you investing in? Where is your heart? It is where your treasure is. It is after that which you are seeking. Now, this does not mean that we abdicate our responsibilities in the world. How come? Yeah, Kitty, what'd you say? <laughs> because we're here. Okay, what did we just cover about what my job is? Church, family, glorifying God. Dominion, God has given us dominion. And so we understand that we have this, this tension. God has created this earth for man. God has created this earth for his glory together. And all of it now is broken because of sin. It is all broken because of sin. It will one day be restored. And so we look forward to that restoration. And as it is, we still, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God, looking forward to that day. We have to keep track of where we are going. The United States is not my be-all, end-all. It can't be. The great state of Texas cannot be my be-all, end-all. Next thing that's important for us to remember is who is my enemy? Okay, Who in this culture today? Holy cow! If you've dipped your toe in the Twitterverse, holy cow! The media today, holy cow, who is my enemy? Ephesians, back over here, Jerry, would you take Ephesians 6, Beatrice, 1 Peter 5, and Katrina, John 8, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. That language Paul uses there, he is, is it's representative language. It makes it sound like we are going to what? War. war. Why does it sound like we're going to war? Because we are. Well, what in this language makes it sound like we're going to war? Armor. Armor. Put on the armor. <coughs> what do you put on armor for? War. War. This is warfare. 
this life is warfare. Who is not our enemy in this passage? Flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is not our enemy. Flesh and blood is not my enemy. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Who is my enemy? Spiritual powers. Okay, all of the language here that Paul is using to describe this um, authorities, cosmic powers, rulers, this present darkness, spiritual forces. He's used that language earlier, and you can go back and look it up if you want, uh, in Ephesians 1.21 and 3.10. Because some people say, well, rulers, those are kings, and well, no, that's not what he means. In light of the context of what he is saying. It is not flesh and blood. It is the unseen realm. The unseen realm is the one who is wreaking havoc in the world. The unseen realm is dictating what's going on in companies and media outlets and the like. It's not flesh and blood. So graphic is this. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 9. Be a sober, sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Who? Who's trying to... Who's prowling around? The devil. Prowling like a lion. Now if you were walking through the zoo, going through the zoo, and you're trucking along and you go to the lion's cage and you see everybody in the lion's cage all in a panic, looking around and you kind of look over your shoulder and you see a lion in the shrubs, Licking its chops at you. Okay? I'm thinking you'd have an adrenaline spike. Lions, they look great on TV. Um, that is not a beast I would mess with. Seeking whom he may devour. Satan's intention. Satan has no good intention. The angels who fell with him have no good intention. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. Pithy, concise, to the point. What is redeeming in Satan? Nothing. 
You might say, well, he was God created. Yes. And there ends his positive attributes. Because from the time of his pride, from the time of his fall, he has been a murderer and a destroyer. There is no good in him. There is no truth in him. Those who disagree with me spiritually or politically or culturally are not my enemy. They are deceived. They are blind. They may be wholly sold out to wickedness. I mean, they may be, seem like the, you know, they're, they're carrying Satan's banner. woo yeah, and we're happy doing it. They are not your enemy. They are all creatures bearing God's divine imprint. And right now, they're damned to hell unless they throw themselves at the cross of Christ. So these are the ones I'm trying to win. They're not my enemy. So who's on my team? God's on my team. No, let me rephrase that. I hope I'm on God's team. Yeah, God's on. I didn't pick. Okay, we're going to pick Randy and, and, and God. No. God's picking the teams. We're on God's team, hopefully. That should be our desire. And any who seek to follow after the living God. Um, you got to understand that a lot of people say, oh, I'm on God's team. You know what? They're not. They're not. How do I know? By their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. With whom do I seek alliances? With whom do I seek alliances with regard to abortion? The Old Testament has much to say about kings seeking alliances. And you know what it was? It was all bad. As they sought alliances with ungodly nations. However, this was God's people. God told them to follow after him in their theocracy. All was to be submitted to God. They were to trust the living God. And they were not to make alliances in a specific command. Now, we are not making alliances, and I would exhort nobody to make an alliance with somebody to worship together. Okay, I am not going to be involved in a uh, day of prayer with a Muslim and a Hindu, and because I, we are completely, we're on different teams that way. But politics... And neighborhood watch areas, I think we can get arm in arm on specific things. So if I have a Muslim neighbor, I am not going to shut my door to my Muslim neighbor. I'm going to get to know my Muslim neighbor, and I'm going to help him with his trash. I'm going to take pick up his trash can when he's gone, and we're going to seek the better of our neighborhood. Okay, that's that is das ist not verboten. Okay, that is a good thing. So, a Christian senator would do well to seek support for a pro-life 
bill from a Muslim or Catholic senator. But we need to see that our, our enemy is not the guy during the State of the Union message. The enemy is not across the aisle. Satan's digging on that. He is loving that. This division here. So what do I do here in my last five minutes? Here's my application. I have to be anchored in my relationship with God. I have to be saturated with the truth. So the example I have here is transgender advocacy. Okay, before I go into this, really, man, where am I standing with the living God? Am I on his word? Where am I going? Am I a stranger? My enemy is not the dudes running the race as a woman. What is the truth? You are a man or you are a woman. That is how you were created. Well, no, I'm not. I'm whatever I deem to be. Now, I don't, I don't sit here and argue with them. I don't keep trying to pummel them. I have to understand that there are people out there who are bent and broken. And they can say, I could stand here and say, I am a woman all day long until I am blue in the face. And you know what's going on inside? Turmoil. I can suppress that turmoil all day long, but I am living contrary to reality. I am living contrary to reality. Are my feelings real? Might I feel like a woman? Yes. I mean, yes, that, that, can, that is absolutely real. You can't say I don't feel that way. You know, that, that is not honoring somebody else. But are my feelings ever wrong? Yeah. You know, praise God that everybody in this room cannot have their thoughts downloaded or their feelings downloaded for review by somebody else. Praise God. But he knows. He knows and he has compassion on us. And so must we. We must understand that there are people out there who are just, I mean, there are people who've given in to the abortion lie and they've destroyed their child. You don't think that weighs on a woman? You don't think that weighs on a guy? Who knows? He didn't man up to support his woman. And his son or daughter is dead. Because he was a selfish wretch. That is going to eat him up. What would you say to people who say that they have piece about like their I have read many a you know article trying to understand this like sure the idea especially about the transgender thing because I often have thought that like you not have like this trauma inside you that God is pushing at you to say this is not what I created you for and these feelings that you have are might may be legitimate but yeah so what do you say to someone who says like I have never felt more at peace like than I am now like as 
a man living as a woman or vice versa. Like, do you, how do you, I'm not saying that it's legitimate no, this is, by any means, yep. but what, what do you say to someone who says, like, I had turmoil before and now I don't? Okay. Um, and they may not because you can suppress stuff. You can, you're, you're really good at that. You can pack it behind layer upon layer upon layer and go, it's not there. La, 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 la. You can't see me. Okay? But it's still there. Why? Because I'm not a woman. And so all I can do in grace here with great grace is go, you may, you, I believe that's how you feel. I believe that's how you feel. But the reality is, is you are living contrary to how you were created. Okay. To merely leave that truth with them. Somebody has to speak the truth. Dude, you are not a duck. You are not a duck. You're not a bullfrog. I'm not a woman. I may, I, 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 I may battle that. I may, I may battle homosexual desires. I may, whatever. But that is not how I was created. That is not God's intention for me. So I would merely put the truth out there rather than try and wrestle with what they're feeling. Any other thoughts on that? We're out of time. <clears throat>